Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, this is Brian Tatler from Diamond Head, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. Here's an old classic that sounds just as good today as it did when we were kids.
it's Mark Striegel. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast. What an honor on this episode, uh, a guy I've been trying to get for a long time, Brian Tatler from Diamond Head is here, and wow, uh, amazing to talk with this guy. And before we get into that interview, I want to say that we just heard the song It's Electric off of Lightning to the Nations by Diamond Head from 1980. Emily is hanging out with me here. Emily, how are you? I'm good, but I'm having a hard time. The Oscars are on tonight, and we're right. we're taping this during the Oscars. Well, you had you know I'm a big fan, right, of the Oscars. I do know that, and and we hadn't had you on an episode in a while, and people were getting a little upset that you haven't been on on the show. So I'm going to leave you to the Oscars in a minute. Um, but I did want to sneak up here into the bedroom where you and Pearl oh, are camped sneaking. out uh, on the bed watching sneaky. the Oscars. And yeah, so we we go to a lot of shows. I feel like we've gotten a lot of tickets uh, lately. We have Ministry. Yeah, I'm so excited. We have potentially Sammy Hagar and Whitesnake and Night Ranger. We have Def Leppard, Motley Crue. And we have Ozzy. Let's talk Ozzy yeah, for a second. Ozzy, Can we? Have we? Overkill. Because yeah. Mark and I were, yeah, Overkill. Don't don't just breeze over that one because yeah. that's one of, always one of my favorite shows. Overkill. Love them so much. Um, Bobby Blitz is everything. Um, but let's talk about Ozzy. What does everyone think? I mean, okay, I'll be honest. I think the Parkinson's has been there for years. And I think I've said that to you for mm-hmm. a while. And I think it may have been diagnosed a while ago. And it's his own business. It's no one else's business. But I think the diagnosis, diagnosis only came out recently. And... Um, some of that was business, I believe, you know, some of like that was Sharon saying, I don't want to share this information too early. Right. Do you think he's going to make our show? I don't know, because they asked him that when he was on the red carpet at the Grammys and he didn't give like a definitive yes. You know, he was like, oh, we'll kind of see how I'm feeling type of thing. And listen, it's 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 obvious that he's got a cane that you know june isn't really that far away i mean i i don't know how i don't know it's what we should expect it's a progressive kind yeah. of disease yeah. let's talk about other people in the rock scene who have had parkinson's yeah. judas priest right glenn so, tipton yeah. right michael so j fox it can happen that kind of um Who's, you know, uh, downhill slope in their physical abilities can happen very quickly and it's very much out of their hands. So it it's heartbreaking to me from one perspective. I just want the best for him. I don't give a shit. I've seen Ozzy. How many times have I seen Ozzy? 12 times? I don't 13 know, a times? lot, yeah. I mean, I, don't, I go to support him because I love him. Do I need to see another show? Is it going to be something different? Probably not. Although I love the new stuff. I love the new material. And we've talked about how they deliver it. Um, some of the new material is very... Right. I, I don't think they're going to play any new material. That's just my my thing. That's a band that, that is a different from the live band. And let's face it, if we just get him doing the, the old material, I think yeah. we're going to be lucky. Uh, we could potentially get one song, maybe Under the Graveyard or something, but I, I kind of yeah. don't know. And I think that this will be my prediction is knowing that they've come out and and 
said that he has this this Parkinson's and that, you know, he's out there with the cane and now we know why he was sitting down during the Post Malone performance at the American Music Awards and even in the video for what's the what's that one video? Um I don't know. That one video that he he came out with recently music video, he's he's sitting in there. Like on too. a park bench or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like Yeah, I, I, I think this if if he does tour this will in my opinion be probably the last time we all get to see him so let's wait and see see if it happens you know yeah I just I don't even care I just want him to feel good and I am heartbroken if he doesn't right right because his fans are we are eternally on his side none of us Give me one. Give me an example of one Aussie fan who's gonna bitch. They he, do though. They do. You know what? Well, screw yeah. them. They're they not do. real I mean, Aussie I, fans. I, I read they don't this love stuff him. On then social media guess what? And, yeah. You know what? Screw them. Go you to the talking about an Aussie YouTube fan. page. They're already like I. I put up a video where I was talking about. about you know, we don't basically what you're saying. We don't. We don't care if if he gets up there with a, a cane. It's okay. And people were bitching and moaning about. You know that. what? Yeah. If you care about your own you know, getting off on watching Ozzy Osbourne on stage more than his health and happiness as a human being. You don't love Ozzy. You right. don't. You're not a real Ozzy fan. Right. So you know what? Let's think about Ozzy before your, oh, I need a night out to see Ozzy play again. No, you right. don't. Just just pray for him and his family and let him be well and healthy. Right. And, you know, he's not going to ever be healthy again because honestly, it is a... It's a disease that kind of gets worse over time. I just pray for his comfort, right? I don't want him to be uncomfortable. And the thought of him being uncomfortable is bad to me. Absolutely. I'm with you 100%, Emily. And we shall see. June 22nd is when the rescheduled Ozzy Osbourne date is to take place at Madison Square Garden. And Emily, we have third row. So, <laughs> you know uh, what? You know, but if it happens, see. yes. Yeah, we will see. If it doesn't happen, God bless him. I love him so much. Absolutely. And his family. Absolutely. And let's keep this great Diamond Head music going. This is Call Me off of the Borrowed Time record. I believe Borrowed Time was like 80. 82, I want to say. Great stuff. Again, Diamond Head here on Talking Metal. Stay tuned for the interview with Brian from Diamond Head. Four o'clock in the morning now. Wait, I can't sleep for love. Been waiting for you to call.
was Call Me by Diamond Head. Right on. And we're going to get into this uh, interview with Brian from Diamond Head, a guy I've wanted on the show for a long time, Brian Tatler. And big thanks to Patrick for really lighting a fire under my ass to get this interview uh, secured and take place. Uh, I'm sorry, Patrick, Patrick is a patron. Patrick the patron and again thanks man because if it weren't for you who knows if we would have gotten Brian because I really I feel like I owe it to the people on Patreon to make their uh, their wishes come true and listen I know you wanted this interview I wanted this interview Patrick and here we go Brian from Diamond Head finally on the podcast a living legend guys this is Diamond Head from 2019 with The Messenger and after that, we will hear my interview with Brian from Diamond Head.
Hey, it's Mark Striegel with Talking Metal, and I am truly honored to have on the line with us a, a, a legend, Brian Tatler from Diamond Head. Brian, how are you? I'm all right. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for saying that. Uh, it's nice to speak to you. Yeah, I've been a longtime fan going way, way back, and I, I definitely want to talk to you about about your just incredible history. But let's talk about more recent times uh, right now, because less than a year ago, Diamond had delivered a really great record, The Coffin Train. And I, I have to tell you, I really like the diversity of the record, because when I first listened to it um, a number of months back at this point, you know, Belly of the Beast kicks it off, and to me, that's got that real Diamond Head spirit. It's and and I know the self-titled record that you'd done back in 2016. Yeah. It seemed like there was uh, an an effort to kind of stay on on course with well, this is what Diamond Head needs to sound like. And correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, but with Coffin Train, I felt like you guys because Belly of the Beast again to me that sounded classic Diamond Head. But then it goes some other places. You know, I, I yeah. felt like you know the Sleeper, um, Shades of of Black. I mean, I, I heard some some Purple, some Led Zeppelin, maybe even like Soundgarden at times, and that may be the yeah. vocals. But it really seemed yeah. to go some different places. So, do you feel the Coffin Train? You kind of were maybe a little more diverse with this album than you were with the 2016 self titled one. Yes, I think we were. I think we were a bit, a bit more bold, a bit, a bit more confident. Um, because the 2016 album, there'd been a long gap between that one and the previous album, which was uh, 2007, uh, and we had this new singer, Rasmus. So I think uh, the general idea was was not to to lose any of our fans and. Uh, uh, sort of make the kind of album that a Diamond Head fan might like, but also I think Raz wanted to, uh, in, in a word, ingratiate himself with the fans. The last thing he wanted to do is ruin the legacy right. and and have the Diamond Head fans that we've we've got say, "I don't like the new thing. I don't like the new album." You know, so sort of it was coming from that kind of of angle, you know, to try and um, just just make make the right sort of album go go back to the classic diamond head that people obviously liked with likeness of the nations and borrowed time and and sort of sort of you know make that kind of record rather than just experiment and be be now and be modern and you know you can do that but we thought now let's uh let's sort of tailor the record so that it sounds very diamond head and, and just see how it's received right. and it was received very well and so i think that gave us the confidence to okay we can branch out a little more we can be a tiny bit more modern you know some of that stuff i was writing in 2016 so it's a bit more up to date and uh and and i think you're right you know it, it does you know it's a bit of sound garden influence coming in vocally and and uh it just it just became a bit more you know um epic and we're not afraid to do like a few more slower songs and things like that yeah so i'm glad i'm just really really pleased that people like both the records and that raz has been so well uh accepted by the fans i mean raz's voice is just insane i mean it's so good mm -hmm. he's got 
he's got this just he hits those notes but there's this emotional quality to it yeah. too which i i think a lot of times you get a good singer and they're pitch perfect and they can hit all the notes but they don't have that that emotional quality that sucks the listener yeah. in and he has that and i agree i and, agree it's a fantastic find i'm i'm very lucky to to have uh, found him and he just re, you know he really suits diamond head and that we can write together and work together has been a, a real bonus. Uh, so it's all going well. Absolutely. And you've kind of been on a, uh, a real creative uh, role here with two albums, you know, within yeah. the last, like, what, three and a half years, I guess, at this point. <laughs> are, are, is this going to keep going? Are you thinking more new music in another year or so, or is two enough? It's no, no. It's it's possible. Uh, I I'm always coming up with little ideas. Uh, I've got a little little home studio, so I put down ideas when they come to me. Um, I don't know. Uh, there's no immediate plan for new material. We're um, we we plan to record some stuff soon, but I don't know exactly uh, when when you know it will it will develop and and things like that. So. Uh, I'm not quite sure at the moment, but but it's it's definitely a, you know, the doors open. That we're positive about moving forward. We've already you know booked gigs into 2021, and the really band well. will just continue until uh, either we don't want to do it anymore, or, or just people stop coming to see the band, you know, or buying the record. So while while it's all going well, and we've 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 got a good label behind us. We've got management now with uh, Siren Management. Uh, we're, we're very positive and we're looking forward to the future and, and uh, see what, what it holds. Awesome. And the immediate future is more gigs in 2020. I know you're going out with Saxon for yeah. a while. What else is going on for you guys in this year? Uh, yeah, we've got some big festivals again. I mean, we did some big festivals Last year, we've done a few over the over the past few years, all across Europe. Um, we did we did uh, a couple in in the US as well. We did um, Rocklahoma and uh, we did Psycho Las Vegas. Right. But we've got um, we've got Bang Your Head Festival in Germany coming up. Uh, we've got one in Barcelona called Rockfest. We've got Bloodstock again, which uh, we played. I think three years ago or something like that, four years ago, uh, and we were on the Sophie Lancaster stage, where this time we are on the main stage. Nice. Uh, we are on the Saturday night, I believe, and uh, so that's going to be great. We're really looking forward to that. We've also got a cruise um, in, in Finland. Uh, like a, It's called the Wacken okay. Full Metal Cruise. Oh, wow, that's, that sounds <laughs> Which, fun. Yeah, I'm not not done that before so that that sounds exciting we're looking forward to that and we've also been offered a date in brazil and the band's never been to south america before so wow. we're just about to finalize that all being well and um that that'd be exciting yeah absolutely wow you guys have never been to south america that's, that's no nope, wow, that's been. crazy and well, we've had numerous requests from from promoters and fans saying you know come over but it's just sorting out the details and you know how, how it's all going to work it's it, it, it's it's always the detail the devil's in the detail right on right on and so so 2020 sounds like it's uh filling up and going to be a busy year yeah. for you it is also the 40th anniversary of the legendary album lightning to the nations <laughs> 
any any plans to celebrate that pretty big anniversary? Yeah, we're we're planning to do some shows uh, later in the year where we will play the whole album as a 40th anniversary kind of uh, show. And and I've already been thinking about that. You know, we'll probably play some new stuff and then play the whole of the Light Into the Nations album uh, to finish uh, finish a set. So I think uh, that'll be good. And uh, it's we've just got to actually do that. I mean, we're, we're only in February now. Uh, so I think that'll be later in the year. Um, we, we won't be doing it on a festival show because right. normally you get about an hour max, maybe 45 minutes. So it would be on our own gigs, but we have got some later in the year and uh, we do have, we, you've got to mark the occasion. We Absolutely. did in 2010 when it was 30 years old, we did some special gigs with where we played the whole album and it was great because, you know, it's seven, seven good songs, one after another. And uh, yeah. the punters really, uh, really went for it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I mean, as a as a kid hearing that record, and I, I have to admit, you know, I I, I heard the Metallica. Uh, I had bought the Creeping Death sig- Signal. I, right. I flipped yep. it over, heard this song, which I thought was one of their their greatest songs. Then I find <laughs> out it's actually a Diamond Head song. So we tracked down Diamond Head at our local record yep. store, and and it was the rawness of the Lightning to the Nations album that made it just feel so real and, right. and and great and intense and it was almost like underproduced you know like so many of those yeah. 80s rock records were like overproduced C- can you talk a little bit about recording that record do you have memories of going into the studio and, and laying down those tracks yeah i've, I've only got a, a few memories i mean 40 years old. we were all about 19 years old when we made that record i can remember it was done at the old smithy studio in worcester um it, and there was a residential area where you could go and stop the night. So we stayed for exactly one week. We had a week to record and mix it. Uh, so the pressure was on to get it down pretty quickly. But all the songs on that album, the seven songs, we'd already played live. And we'd had some of them for a couple of years. So we, we were fairly well rehearsed. Uh, I do remember the drummer, Duncan, uh, when he first heard the click track coming down his headphones, he didn't know what it was. And, uh, you know, they're like, it's like usually a cowbell playing one, two, three, four. And and, uh, (laughs) he wasn't used to playing to a click track. Uh, So it completely put him off. And we had to abandon the click track. And in the end, we didn't use a click track on any of the songs because... I mean, if he'd been used to it and been practicing maybe at home to a click track and in rehearsal, a different matter. But to suddenly pop the headphones on and a a click track appears when you're about to record a take was just too much for him. So (laughs) the poor chap, uh, we had had to say, no, we'll do without the click track. Thanks very much. Which is is very interesting for me to hear because, you know, as somebody who studies music... um, you know, I mentioned the rawness of that record. Yeah. And yeah. when you don't have a click track, the tempos tend to, well, to well, sway yeah. and move. And there's something yeah. that, that, that gives it more of a, a 
human element in some yes. in some ways and i think yes. you know that's it's very interesting tidbit you gave us there because i i hear that you know i hear that there yep. there's a there's something alive about that record that all yes. these years and later a, just a song like am i evil has a lot of tempo changes anyway i think it's got about four or five tempo changes so you'd have had to write quite a complicated click to to move up and down over the seven minutes 40 seconds Anyway, uh, and I, I, I mean, people would do it now probably because you've got everything to, to the grid and right. you, with Pro Tools, it makes it easier if it's all perfectly in time. But then maybe it was more about the feel and the vibe and we, we'd just go for it really. And uh, if, as long as you hadn't really screwed it up, you'd be happy with the take. You know, it would have an energy to it and a a vibe because we'd all be in the room together we'd all you know the drums would be set up and we'd all be looking at each other sean would be singing the vocal and uh there'd be nods going on you know chorus coming up and things like that uh so it was pretty live and then we'd just redo like probably the guitar and the vocal um, and if there was a mistake on the bass, probably maybe drop right. in and out, something like that. But it, it was very, you know, like you say, raw, and, and we didn't hang about. We we got it done pretty quickly. So at that time in rock history, we saw, you know, Led Zeppelin was kind of going more commercial. Bands like Kiss were, you know, embracing, you know, disco sounds and also <laughs> going more commercial. Yeah. Sabbath yeah. was was seemed to be falling apart, uh, but punk was kind of on the rise, and there was this real do-it-yourself attitude, yeah. you know, street smart punk thing going on. How aware of were you guys of that as teenagers? I mean, you had to know, hey, this punk thing's happening, and we're doing rock, but you know, did that influence your sound and your your attitude? It did, definitely. Um, Diamond had formed in 1976, and we, we only wanted to be a rock band. Uh, we, we were kind of wanted to emulate our heroes, like you mentioned, Zeppelin, Sabbath, Purple. And and then in 77, the following year, along comes punk rock in the UK. So suddenly, there's these bands on the TV. I remember watching Sex Pistols and uh, The Jam and The Adverts and all these bands. And I really liked the punk scene i thought the energy was was amazing and i'd had i'd had enough of a big long uh you know almost pretentious uh tracks from some of these bands you know like emerson lake and palmer and right uh you know genesis and stuff you know i'm a big genesis fan but i think it, there comes a time where i can't play anything like you know, Genesis or, you know, Yes or Pink Floyd. But I thought, like, oh, I can play like the Sex Pistols, you know. I can play like the Ramones. I can do what he's doing, this guy. And that was quite inspirational. To, it's almost like a kick in the pants to sort of just just to do it yourself, vibe. go and do it, book a gig, play in your local pub up the road, you know. Don't, right. don't worry about uh, becoming you know, a virtuoso on the guitar, Richie Blackmore or Steve Howe, just just go, just play three, you know, three chords and riff out. And so 
I, I didn't want to be a punk, but we, our music was, was pretty fast and raw and, and exciting. We, soon, we learned pretty quickly that if you play fast songs and, you know, shake your hair, go for it, have, put a lot of work into the show, then it, the audience would respond. Uh, so we weren't just going to stand there and play slow, boring 20-minute songs. We wanted to you know, power, power through and get, get, whip the crowd up. So I think, I think we took, we took some of the, the punk energy uh, and added it to our own kind of style where we wanted to be, you know, the greatest band of all time. But, but we were kind of, you know, we didn't know how to get there, but when you're only going to play a small gig, in front of maybe 20, 30 people who don't know any of your songs. You, you know, you want a result right there and then. You want them to go away saying, that was brilliant. Uh, and so I think we, we borrowed some of the energy from the punk movement. Absolutely. And a couple uh, other questions about that actual record, Lightning to the Nations. Of course, Metallica famously went on to cover, I think, four of those seven yeah. songs, right? Fantastic. Uh, we mentioned Am I Evil? And I, I know you and, and Sean wrote that together. What is that yeah. song about? Did, were you involved with the lyrics at all, or was that just Sean? Because I, 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 for no. many years, my mother was a witch. She was burned alive. Yeah. Like, what, what's the story behind that? It's Do you a, know much? Of it's a great lyric. It, it, it's very, um, it, it's shocking for the time, for 1980. That's quite a lyric. Uh, it's, I'm not really sure what it's about. I'm, um, I know he once mentioned something about the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, but okay. I don't see how that fits in. Um, I think I, another interview I saw, Sean mentioned that he, he said, once I'd come up with that riff, the Am I Evil riff, he had to write something suitably sort of evil, demonic, to, you know, to fit with that, that riff. So, and he certainly did, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, as a writing team, we did work very well together. We, I always felt uh, we both had our strengths. Uh, he, was, he was very good at, you know, lyrics and things. I was good at the music. And, and between us, you know, arrangements and ideas, we, you know, we were very complimentary. And uh, we wrote a lot of songs together uh, so, and learned our craft, really, just you know, by trial and error and just recording right bit on. by bit. I, and I yeah. probably should have researched this ahead of time, but I, I didn't. What, what What's Sean up to nowadays? Do you hear from him at all? No, I don't. We we kind of, you know, keep our, our own company. Um, I haven't seen him even for a few years. I, I, we both went to that Metallica 30th anniversary at, in San Francisco, and we we got up and played the four covers that they've done with Metallica. So that was fantastic. But that was 2011. So I've seen him once or twice since then. Uh, we, we sort of don't, you know, uh, all, all I know is that he, he just continues to write songs for himself, really. He doesn't write for anyone else. And, uh, but he, strangely enough, he doesn't make records and he does, uh, he doesn't do any gigs. He just seems to be constantly writing, uh, and 
I don't know what for. I don't know what he's waiting for or he's expecting to happen with these songs. But, um, you know, we're not getting any younger. I think right. it's it's better to just get on with it and release stuff. You know, we've released four albums um, without Sean. Yeah. Uh, Diamond Head has. So, I, well, Sean hasn't released anything since the last thing he released, I think, was 1998. Three, which was the Death and Progress album, uh, the, the the fourth Diamond Head album. Okay. So uh, I, I've not heard anything he's done since then. Right, right. And just a few more um, little nuggets about that, that album and that time frame. You know, I, I listened to, like, the song Sucking My Love, and there's there's this one part in that song, in the guitar solo, that sounds striking. It's a very brief part, but it sounds strikingly familiar to the uh, the breakdown in Iron Maiden's Phantom of the Opera song. And, <laughs> I like that track. It's yeah, a good track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a I, similar. I don't know. I, I can't remember. You know, copying it really. I mean, it might just be. Well, maybe they copied you. That was my question because oh, those be. those two records came out at like the same time. And yeah, and be. I was wondering how how much association you had with Maiden back in those days. I mean, you're both considered uh, a new lot. wave of British uh, British heavy metal. I, I remember seeing a re, an interview with Steve Harris where he he liked Diamond Head. He said he thought Diamond Head were going to be a big band, uh, but uh, we only really supported them the one time. We played Lyce, the Lyceum in London. Uh, they headlined, and we went on first, uh, but. It would have been nice to go out on tour and do do a load of dates with them, but Diamond Head, you know, as they conquered the world, we kind of fell apart in in the mid eighties, and uh, it, it was a real shame. But um, you know, Maiden Maiden's career is is incredible. Um, how they've continued and continued to make records and and get bigger and bigger, and uh, you know, take take that that style of music all over the world. And it's an incredible feat. I mean, they had a great manager and they had, they're on EMI, but even so, the work ethic in the band is yeah. obviously fantastic. And uh, it's the very dedicated to what they do. Right on. And how about some of those other quote-unquote new wave of British heavy metal bands? Were you friends with, with Leopard or Saxon or Raven or any of those guys? We uh, we bumped into a few of them from time to time. We we always seem to meet up with girls' school and Angel Witch. Um, we met uh, Def Leppard. They came to see us at a gig in Sheffield, and we had a chat. You know, we all shook hands, and there was a mutual kind of appreciation going on. Uh, but we never got to tour with with any of the bands really. We, we support, you know, we'd go out with bands, we supported Black Sabbath, we were lucky to do that, and we did a couple of dates. Was that with DC. Dio? Was that with, Dio uh, was in the band? That, or? Funny enough, it was Ian Gillen. Ian, right. It was sure. 83, so it was the Born Again right. album and tour. So it was a bit of an unusual lineup with Ian Gillen and Bev Bevan on drums. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was still like a huge tour, playing to like 10,000 people. Right. Um but, um, yeah, I mean, we, we weren't overly friendly with the other New Obham bands. I always think we'd go and see them. We'd check them out when they'd come round and play the Midlands. And uh, we'd pretty much stand there with our arms folded, waiting to right. be impressed, you know, because we, we thought we were good. 
we were very confident in in our abilities and half the time we would think we're better than these guys uh we were looking high really high we wanted to be like led zeppelin or something you know sure. or sabbath we wanted to sell millions of records and conquer the world we weren't we weren't content to just be like a good band from birmingham or something or as big as as um, nuts or something you know right. we wanted to be the greatest band of all time <laughs> we right. aimed very high yep you know yeah, I hear you. And uh, Brian, it's been great talking with you. Before I let you go, I just I always have to ask my fellow guitar players about their their gear because you have such okay. a great great tone on on the coffin Thank train. You. Um, what are you what are you playing out of guitar wise and amp wise? That that that's mainly my seventy nine Les Paul, which which is a really nice you know Gibson Les Paul standard. Right. Most of the guitars were done with that. I've also uh, uh, I've got a '96 Les Paul I use. Abs used to use his. He's got a John Sir and a Custom. Uh, but most of the guitars again were done with, with this amp I've, I've got called a Cornford, which is a UK company. Okay. Uh, it's a Cornford MK50, so it's a 50 watt head, and we just put that through. There was this orange cab at the studio, which we really liked, because I've got a couple of nice Marshall cabs, but we A-B'd them with this orange cab, and we thought the orange cab sounded better. Okay. Um, we also used a diesel VH4 for when when we needed loads more gain for, say, solos and things. Um, but the, this Cornford, uh, it's very impressive. I mean, it's old now. It's... Um, it's probably 1999, so it's 20 years old. But it's got—it almost sounds like a Marshall that's got about to explode. It—it right. it's, feels like it's on fire somehow. It's almost like the the perfect Marshall um, because it's got a lot of mid. Uh, it's got gain without it being fizzy or fuzzy. You know, I mean, guitarists are notoriously fussy, as you know, and we can we can search forever for that perfect sound but um i'm happy with this cornford i, I really like it so it I'll sounds keep exp- i'll keep expecting it to explode one right. day and and then it don't sound the same but so far so good touch wood and all that <laughs> so when you're in the studio you're putting a mic up in front of that cabinet there's no direct kemper stuff or anything like nah. that it's all you think I've you can hear it. that on the album no nah. there's no kempers or axe effects or anything right. like that i mean one day we may end up down that route because uh you know a lot of bands are using those amps now and i think the the, the choice you know the variety that you can dial up is, is incredible but i still think there's something about a marshall or a, you know a good sounding valve amp where you just cranked up a bit and the volume and the way it, it uh it reacts with the speaker this it is it's what i've been listening to it's what we've all been listening to for you know 50 odd years right and it's hard, it's hard to replicate that i hear you and i agree and brian it's been a, a true honor to speak with you again we wish you, you all the luck in the world and Thank you. we are looking forward to everything you have in store and we're gonna check out some more music off the coffin train right now on talking metal and uh, again thank you for your time thank you it's been a pleasure the canvas made of skin 
2019 release and wow what an interview what a great interview with brian from diamond head thank you patrick from patreon for requesting that and lighting a fire under my ass to make it make it happen uh, thank you for your patience patrick i know you requested it a while ago and we have been in touch with brian's people for quite some time trying to line that up so i'm glad it finally happened right now let's get into a classic by diamond head
Diamond Head here on Talking Metal. We're going to wrap things up here. A couple more songs. This is Women in Chains by Pete Way from UFO. His band Wasted, a band I once saw open for Iron Maiden back in the day. This is off of uh, the Wasted album called Vices. And again, it features Pete Way from UFO fame. And the song, love this song, Women in Chains. Good stuff. Good stuff. Probably not PC. Not these days, but... Man, the PC police, they drive me nuts. Women in chains, it's all good. You know, listen, as long as no one's getting hurt, uh, I think it's all good.
wasted here on Talking Metal. To wrap things up, we're doing a little uh, more music by an ex-UFO member, this time Michael Shanker. This is Lost Horizons. I love this song. (laughs) One of my favorite rock songs. Here we go. Michael Shanker, little MSG here on Talking Metal. (laughs) 